I was based in South Africa and traveling throughout the African continent. And I was training for a very large triathlon race, an Ironman triathlon. And so one day I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had so much chicken and fish and eggs and, and, and things. And I just needed some red meat. I was red blooded American here, really craving some red meat. And I went into a, a restaurant in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I was like, guys, I, I need the biggest red meat steak you have. I don't care what it is. They said, Oh, well, it's ostrich. We got this big ostrich steak. You want to try that? And I was like, great, whatever. And so I had this big steak. It was just this massive ostrich steak. This is beautiful red meat, had it a nice medium rare. Had satisfied my red meat craving, really couldn't tell the difference between a really lean uh, bison steak or an elk steak or something like that. Uh, after I had this ostrich steak, I felt so strong. I felt light. I felt good. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for a run. Why not? Because that's what I was doing at the time. I was training for this race. And I went out and ran 16 miles faster than I've ever run before. And I was like, oh my God, like what? Back home to the US to my family living in Idaho. And I was like, hey, let's do ostrich for Christmas dinner. Why not? Let's do something a little different. And we, we couldn't find any. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. So I left my finance career and decided that I would bring ostrich to America. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. I've had an opportunity to be on about every kind of farm and ranch that you can imagine. I've seen people raising every kind of critter you can imagine. But one that's left on my bucket list was ostrich. And um, today I get to check that one off, perhaps, because in a way, at least virtually, we're going to go to an ostrich farm. And I want to welcome Alexander McCoy. So, uh, Alex, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thanks, Roger. It's great to be with you. You have the American Ostrich Farms, and you're also even president of the association, too, I believe, the Ostrich Association. Is that right? The American Ostrich Association. Yes, it's been around for a long time, and uh, we just haven't gotten the traction to grow this industry to where uh, where it really should go and, and needs to go. So we're, it's, we're moving in the right direction here, trying to get the word out about ostrich. You know, before I talked to you today, I I went to a coffee shop and talked to some people that were hanging out. And I told them I'm getting ready to go visit somebody that has an ostrich farm up in Idaho. And one of the comments was, gee, there was a time, uh, what, 20, 30 years ago, we heard a lot about ostrich. And then it seemed like they kind of got quiet. Uh, and that was interesting. I thought this was kind of unrehearsed again, just going to the local coffee shop that someone had that in mind about ostriches. Yes. Yeah, so uh, back in the 90s, uh, people fell in love with ostrich. It was, it was a thing for a short moment. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a red meat. So it tastes very similar to a beef or an elk or a bison, uh, but it's really healthy for you. Um, and it's also environmentally sustainable. And so it, it just, it just makes sense. Ostriches lay eggs. You, you, you can incubate them. You can grow these things at great scale, right? In, in theory, right? It's like a big chicken. However, a couple of things. One, it's really hard to raise ostriches. There's a lot of know-how. They're, they're very fickle animals. You can't just throw them out to pasture and expect them to be happy and healthy and take care of themselves. So it requires a lot of care. 
Uh, and the other thing is the ostrich farmers of the 90s did not think about the consumer uh, as much as 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 we do today. Uh, and so the problem was you're creating all these ostriches in the 90s and it became a little bit of a thing. But then there weren't all the slaughter plants didn't want to slaughter the ostriches and, and you didn't have the processing capabilities and you weren't asking the customers what value added products do you want? And so basically uh, the product just was not getting to customers at the velocity that it needed to to keep up with the production. And basically the value of these animals fell through the floor and and the industry kind of imploded because that consumer, the consistent consumer demand was never created by the industry back then. Well, that's too bad, but it also makes sense and it explains things because I remember too, as a matter of fact, I had somebody that was working for me that left, I was running the American Lamb Council at the time and left to go work for ostriches back then. I haven't uh, kept up with them, but it was at that, you know, that period of time, that many years ago when I was just kind of getting started in, in this area, but you're back. Now we got a lot to filling, a lot of space to fill in because Let's start with painting a picture, if we could. And in fact, I can see a picture on your website, and I'm looking at the American ostrich farms. I see ostriches. What does it look like? I mean, if we go out to your farm right now, and uh, are they in various fields or paddocks or lots? Or But you've got ostrich running around there. What's it look like? So we live in the desert. We're in the desert just outside of Boise, Idaho. And we only get about eight inches of rain out here. So the ostrich is a desert animal. Uh, they have their feathers. They can, ostriches cannot fly. Uh, <laughs> and that's because their fluffy feathers don't, they don't wick water, uh, like, like flying birds. So they don't like the rain. So basically our pens, we have these very, these large breeding pens where we put multiple ostriches. It's usually one male and multiple females, uh, in a pen and they mate naturally, uh, in, in these pens. And so they're, they're very territorial creatures. So they want to have their own territory. If you put a bunch of male ostriches together, they will fight. <laughs> and so we want to keep the males separate and they breed in these oversized kind of breeding colonies. And then every day our team goes out and we collect the eggs from those pens. They make, they make a little nest in their pen, nice sandy nest. We collect those eggs and take them into the incubators every day. So, um, it doesn't smell like a feedlot out here. We only have 120 acres is the size of our facility. Um, but we, and we can raise thousands of birds out here, thousands of very large birds. And, uh, it smells great. We don't have uh, a problem with manure removal, uh, because ostriches just, it's a, again, it's a dead, it's a more efficient animal. Uh, so they, they don't eat that much. So they don't poop that much. And, and so we have, we have what you would consider you know, a very, you know, open fields and, and we have view of the Boise foothill mountains out here. It's, uh, it's quite lovely. It's like the, the high desert. Do you need any shelter for them? Yes. So we have, uh, it's like a, a three sided kind of horse shelter. It has a sloped roof again, because the, really the only weather that they really despise is the rain. So when it rains, they want to get out of the rain and stay dry because that water goes right to their core and it makes them cold. They don't want to lay eggs. They don't want to, they don't want to be an ostrich when they're wet. So we have these structures so they can all get inside of a, of a shelter. And that's where we, we put their feed uh, as well. Stays nice and dry. Don't have like feed bunks or buckets or what's typical? Yes. Yeah, so ostriches are actually omnivores. They do eat little bugs and even little critters. I've seen an ostrich swallow up a, a ground squirrel. 
Um, uh, so they're, they're very flexible eaters, but we need to get them the right amounts of uh, minerals and vitamins and the right food stuff so they can really uh, produce a lot of eggs throughout the year. So we primarily feed them an alfalfa based pelletized diet in, in feed bunks in their, in their shelters. And you just have water tanks out there. Yeah, we have automatic waters. They're actually, uh, uh like little, uh, goat sheep waters. Mm-hmm. And they're with, they're, they have elected, it gets a little, little cold here in the winter. It does freeze. And so they, they, you know, just heated, heated waters in their pens. Yeah. Yeah. So. Then when you look at, when I think of ostriches, they, they look to me like they're like, what, seven foot tall or what, how, how big are they? They're quite large. A, a ma- the males are bigger than the females. And, uh, there are three subspecies of ostrich, three broadest, broadly speaking. There's like the redneck, the blue neck, the Zimbabwe blue, and then the African black. And, um, the blacks are the smallest, the Zimbabwe blue is the medium size and the, the redneck is uh, the biggest ones. And so we really have a, a mix of all three here. And so I would say the average, and again, there's big ones and there's littler ones. So the, the, we, we have some really big males out here that can top eight feet tall, eight and a half feet tall and 350 or maybe even 375 pounds. Um, most of the females will top out around 250. 270 pounds for a female and they'll be maybe seven seven and a half feet tall would be a quite large one uh one unique thing one one, one special thing about ostrich uh, is that we have not genetically bred them for meat production right the only only place in the world where ostriches have been bred for a long period of time is south africa you know the uh the dutch started farming down there over 150 years ago but they didn't breed them for meat uh, they bred them for the feather quality and the ostrich uh, skin, you know, that beautiful quill pattern you see on boots and fancy uh, women's purses and things. And so my aha moment was I, I saw that in South Africa and I was like, wait a second, you, you're raising this livestock for the feathers and the quills. And this is a meat bird. This is this is a red meat. It's healthy. It's beautiful. It tastes great. This is a meat bird. And so so back to the size of the animals. Like no one has has selectively bred these animals at all for meat yield. And so that's what we're starting to do here for the first time is really breed them for the meat. So uh, you know we want to get you know meatier birds. Uh, so so who knows what's what's possible with just the basic you know selective breeding that uh, with other species is like you know the oldest oldest trick in the book. Oh, I got so many questions. So let's let's take a break here and go back to the when you had the idea that you that you saw this. You just mentioned something you were describing uh, in South Africa. What were you doing in South Africa, looking looking around and seeing the ostrich farming? I was in a totally different uh, career. I was uh, I was working for Citigroup uh, of all companies, a, a large global bank um, doing international finance work. So I was based in South Africa and traveling throughout the African continent doing uh, work with uh, the likes of uh, Heineken and Coca-Cola and big multinational companies. And I was training for a very large triathlon race, an Ironman triathlon. And uh, beef was not on my diet because, you know, whenever I had like a big beef steak or a really big, a big burger satisfied my red meat craving, I was, I, I felt sluggish and slow and lethargic. And, you know, there were some, you know, you know, every calorie that I was consuming, I was really watching because I was training for this big race. And so one day I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had so much chicken and fish and eggs and, and, and things. And I just needed some red meat. I was red blooded American. I was really craving some red meat. 
And I went into a, a restaurant in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I was like, guys, I, I need the biggest red meat steak you have. I don't care what it is. They said, oh, well, it's ostrich. We got this big ostrich steak. You want to try that? And I was like, great, whatever. Ostrich sounds, sounds, sounds fine. And so I had this big steak. It was just this massive ostrich steak. This is beautiful red meat. Had it a nice medium rare. Had satisfied my red meat craving. Really couldn't tell the difference between a really lean uh, bison steak or an elk steak or something like that. But then after I ate it, I expected to go have to take a nap, you know, as one does when you have a big ribeye or something like that. You, you're a little tired after that. You got to digest that thing. Uh, after I had this ostrich steak, I felt so strong. I felt light. I felt good. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for a run. Why not? Because that's what I was doing at the time. I was training for this race. And I went out and ran 16 miles faster than I've ever run before. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is this meat? Like, what is the deal with this? Yeah. And so everything I learned about this ostrich meat, it just it just sits well with your body. It's lean. It's it's it just it you get all that red meat craving. It tastes fantastic, but then you feel good after eating it. And so from that day forward, you know, I'm doing my job here, uh, but I, I just could not shake this insane curiosity with this animal and why no one else was doing this at any sort of scale in the United States. I came back home to the U.S. to my family living in Idaho, and I was like, hey, let's do ostrich for Christmas dinner. Why not? Let's do something a little different. And we, we couldn't find any. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. So I left my finance career and decided that I would bring ostrich to America. You must have gotten some funny looks. Uh, so well, first and foremost, from my fiance at the time, oh, yeah. you know, she okay. thought she was marrying a finance guy, but uh, I became an ostrich farmer. An ostrich so. farmer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, um, you, you don't hear that story every day. So when you when you do that, though, and you, you say, aha, this is what I want to do. Of course, you had already been doing international, international marketing, international business and, and getting around and then you can come back again to an ostrich farm. So when you decide that that's a direction you want to go, did you start off renting some land or did you find a farm to be able to put ostrich in? How, how'd that happen? In the beginning, I didn't want to uh, buy, buy a farm at all. I didn't want to be a farmer at all because I didn't know anything about farming. I knew, right. I knew how to market things and selling and finance and business that I could do, but I did not know my way around any sort of livestock. So what I wanted to do was become the Nyman Ranch of ostrich. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I, I wanted to go to existing ostrich farmers, or in, in Bill Nyman's case, existing hog farmers, be like, all right, we're going to create a better product. We're going to have, you know, these these 14 steps. You got to treat your animals well. You got to pay your employees a living wage. You got to have high quality feed and, and so on and so forth. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that for ostrich. And I'm going to I'm going to be the guaranteed buyer of all these ostriches. I'm going to create this program, this Nyman Ranch-esque program for a very high quality, very high high standard of ostrich meat. And then I'm going to go sell it because that's what I'm good at because I didn't know how to raise animals at the time. And so I went and lo and behold, there were there were not enough ostriches in this country for that business to make any sense. There was no one raising these things in numbers that you'd need to build a business being the producer and distributor and marketer. And so I, I and, you know... I, the, the thought did occur to me that maybe this is not the best idea. Maybe maybe there's a reason why this is the case. Yeah. But I pushed on. I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this whole thing myself. And so fast forward 10 years, we we're fully vertically integrated from, from the genetics research to the farming uh, to USDA slaughter and consumer packaging and direct distribution. 
But within that 10 year period, though, again, what comes what comes first? Once you make it, you're going to have to do it all. So uh, did you build the processing plant first? That or? was last. That was last. that was very okay, sure. last. The first thing was was, yes, was getting a facility and raising my own ostriches. Mm-hmm. That was the first step. So that was in 2014. I uh, bought a, an old, a horse, an abandoned horse uh, facility and uh, basically converted it into a vertically integrated, except the slaughter portion, um, ostrich breeding, incubation, grow out uh, operation. And then fast forward another six years to 2020, when the pandemic hit, we got kicked out of our slaughter plant, like a lot of small livestock producers did. Social distancing, the the capacities went down, and it was really the big players that got prioritized over the little guys. So I don't begrudge the slaughter plants for making those decisions. It was a business decision. However, I had no way to monetize uh, the animals that I was raising. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to build my own slaughter plant. And that took a couple of years and a lot more money than I thought. But now we have uh, a slaughter plant as well. Now, are you doing something other than just ostrich at that plant? We are. So what I learned, and again, I was the first time slaughter plant owner. I I had a lot to learn. (laughs) It's a a theme here. And uh, we could build twice the facility for only marginally more money. You know, once all the there's a lot of fixed costs with building these these operations. And so I overbuilt the facility. I made it much larger than I really needed just for me. And and in so doing. Uh, I had realized that other lamb and uh, beef producers uh, locally in Southern Idaho and the Intermountain West had also lost their processor during COVID. And so I overbuilt this thing so I could take those guys in and be like, hey, I can help you out too. And I know uh, you guys lost your plant. I can can be there for you. And so ostriches is a minority of what we actually process. Most of our business on the processing side is is, uh, lamb and beef from Southern Idaho. So and and you're doing it for them on a custom basis, then they own it, or are you having to market? Yes, no, on a custom on a custom basis. Okay, okay. So so you're processing for them. So back to the then back to the ostriches. Then, so what do you do? Do you do you contact a hatchery or something, and they send you the equivalent of chicks or whatever you call them when they're when they're young to get to get started? If there was a hatchery, that would be great. <laughs> That's, of course, how, how it works with chicken. And someday, I hope that ostrich is like that. But right now, the industry is so fragmented. Uh, you really just have to network in the industry, which is the reason I, I, uh, I became involved with the uh, trade association mm-hmm. uh, to, to meet. You just have to meet other people that are doing this at small scale and, and trade with them and, uh, and, and figure out how to do this uh, from the ground up. To get some bred females initially, and then and then start breeding your own. Yeah, it's tricky. You don't when they're young, you don't even know if they're males or females. I mean, you you can sex them, but it's it's tricky to do. Um, you could do a blood test and so forth, but they don't really start changing feather. Their plumage doesn't doesn't betray their sex until over an, uh, a year of age. Uh, so you just have to grab a clutch of birds, try your best to keep them alive, and uh, and and then you have a year to figure out what the heck you're going to do by the time they sexually mature and you're actually going to be uh, laying your own eggs. Yeah, well, and then you think that uh, you're lucky and you got males in there with the females too. How long does it take? What's the gestation period once they're they've been exposed to their bread? Uh, once an egg is laid, we put the egg in the incubator. They hatch 42 days later. 
after those 42 days, uh, it goes from the hatcher into the br- a brooder zone. And what? it'll Say be that again? Uh, very similar to a chicken. Uh, when these when the ostrich hatches, yeah. it goes into a brooder, which is a oh, you know, very okay. brooder. Right. Right. warm environment for the first week of life to really get their sea legs and learn how to eat and drink. And then uh, we have what we call our chick barn, and um, it's a it's a temperature controlled environment. You know, ostrich like pretty pretty uh, warm, low humidity environment. And then uh, when they're about a month of age, we uh, we get them outside. We get them we get them on dirt and in pens. And uh, basically, from that day forward, depending on where your ambient ambient weather is, where you live. You just need to have a shelter for them where they can go in. At least at our property, we have these giant uh, greenhouse structures and uh, they go inside when they want to be inside and we just leave the doors open and they go outside uh, when they want to go outside. That sounds perfect. So how long does it take from the time that they're they're hatched until they're market size? It's about 14 to 16 months right now. 16 months. And that's again something faster, we're trying to work on faster with our gen- and faster than grass-fed beef, much uh, faster than, than know, beef. To, sure. to turn them around, and at at sixteen months, are they up over two hundred pounds? Or yes, our target slaughter weight is a minimum of two hundred pounds. Uh, we prefer two twenty to thirty, and that'll yield about eighty pounds of boneless meat. Ah, I see. Now. Now, if you back to the pasture, then that you got them, you, you feed them, you bred them, you got them up and going. Now, just looking at these things, it, it seems like you'd have to have a pretty high fence. It seems like they might be tricky to keep in. Is that is that right? Yes. And when they hit a fence at speed and they they they're going with their legs, they can they can get over a pretty tall fence. So we have each pen has a five and a half foot fence. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a it's like a no climb horse fence that we have suspended off of the ground a little bit. So it's you That's can use either a four foot or uh, to be more comfortable, I use a five foot no climb horse fence suspended off of the ground. So you have coverage up to up to about six feet. You know the thing that we've all heard joked about before, and I don't even know where it all started, but you know the whole idea of putting your head in the sand. Yes, is that, a, is that really a thing? It's not. Uh, it uh, look the os- the ostrich uh, eats stuff off the ground all day long. So if they're walking around, not unlike a uh, a beef cow or something, um, they're going to be down grazing on things, eating things off the ground. So you will often see ostriches walking along with their head on the ground. It looks like it's in the sand, but ah. they they don't really do that. Their their neck is like a, a giant periscope as well. So when they're down sitting on their 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 nest or or on the ground, like looking for danger, looking for predators, it's like a periscope. You can imagine that neck on a swivel, you know, that eyeball looking around. And then if they do see something they don't like, it's head down, you know, head in the head on the ground to hide. And it might look like it goes in the sand, but it's actually really not true. (laughs) So ostriches, I mean, they've been around for, I mean, probably looking much like they do now, what, 10,000 years or more? Oh yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's fascinating. Now it's it's the ratite family yeah. of birds. So it's the uh, the kiwi is from New Zealand. That's the smallest ratite. Yeah. Uh, the cassowary and the rhea are both from South America, and the emu is also a ratite cousin of the ostrich. That's from Australia, 
And then the ostrich itself is is native to Africa. So basically, when Pangaea, when the Earth you know, broke up, you know, billion years ago, right. um, those ratites developed separately uh, on the different continents. So they're they're very ancient creatures. They look like dinosaurs. I mean, their legs, their toes. It's, it's the closest you get to a real dinosaur. Well, now let's skip skip back now to the consumer. I mean, you said the consumers kind of gave it a try, and then they kind of for different reasons have faded for a while. You're coming you're coming back so when you when you look at this if you process you process the meat there are just certain standards that uh that a butcher is using the the way you break a carcass the way you 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 know put cuts together i would imagine it's not exactly like uh like processing a turkey uh but there's uh, i can't even i can't even imagine i'm having a hard time with this question help me alex um, so uh, yes yeah. so what does the cut chart look like, like yeah, what there, are you the cuts go. there you coming go there you go you host so <laughs> we have we basically made our own cut chart we we have it on our website you can check it out at americanostrichfarms.com but basically some of the names of the cuts you'll recognize you'll recognize the tenderloin uh you'll you'll recognize the strip the top loin these things will sound pretty normal um, and then there's a cut called the fan fillet, which is this beautiful, large, it's like a three to four pound whole muscle that is a whole thing is as tender as a filet mignon. Um, so, so, and then from there, it, things, things get a little bit less well known. We have a pearl and an oyster and there's, and there's different things. So there is a lot of nomenclature that is going to be foreign to beef buyers. But, uh, you know, we're, we encourage folks to not, not worry about that because on the ostrich, Similar to a chicken or a turkey, there isn't a ton of variation on the animal. I mean, our two main products here are ground meats. You know, we take from the the tougher parts, so like the, those giant legs, those giant drumsticks is what it looks like, um, are less tender than the body cuts, right? Similar to like an elk or a deer or something. That the tender cuts are on the body of the animal, like the back of the the back of the animal. And so that's where we get our steaks and fillets from the body of the animal, and then the legs produce our 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 ground our ground meats. You know, I think that uh, one of one of the things that you said early on really caught my attention. You're in South Africa, and you had them feed you this big steak, and you were needing to have uh, the protein and the energy to compete uh, in the race, and and you you felt better. Uh, then if you had just had a big beefsteak, you didn't have to go back and take a nap. Now that's interesting because I think there's a lot of people these days that are trying to figure out how they eat better for performance. And we've seen people at different stages that tried being vegan and they didn't like that. Then they back into protein. And now you have people with carnivore diets. And now you're having people that have switched from saying we eat way too much protein to wait a minute we still need protein especially if you're if you're an athlete but it seems like you've kind of taken that to to the next stage which you're feeling your way along with literally with ostrich as to uh as being really kind of a unique proposition um so you're checking a lot of boxes there that you're it seems like you're kind of on a frontier of diet that would be of interest to a lot of people so i'm uh, I'm, I'm just thinking that you, this is probably connecting with some folks that are finding their way to your discovery or taking advantage of hearing about you and just saying, oh, maybe I better give it a try too. 
Yes, this is a, a really long-term trend. Uh, look, you, when you're a food product of any type, you have to be delicious. You have to be tasty. If you're not tasty, I don't care how healthy or sustainable or or, or whatever. Okay, so ostrich has the great benefit. We don't have to educate any consumers about uh, to, about a new taste because it tastes just like that red meat taste that you know and love. After taste is health. People want to be healthier, whether it's for performance or your doctor said you have to cut down on the saturated fat. Uh, or, uh, you know, you got bitten by the Lone Star tick. There's over a million Americans that have uh, alpha-gal syndrome, where they actually can't eat mammalian protein. Uh, there are all sorts of ailments that stop people, health and otherwise, from enjoying mammalian proteins. So mammals, you know, elk, bison, beef are all mammals, whereas an ostrich is a ratite. It's a bird. And so the meat is just, it, it tastes very similar but there's something about it that's just easier on our human systems to process that red meat. You know, would you say that again? You said that, no, we are a what? A racet? A rat? A- ratite. R-A-T-I-T-E is a uh-huh. family of flightless, the flightless birds. Flightless That bird. I was talking about earlier, the rhea and the emu and the cassowary and the kiwi. Yeah. We've got wild turkeys in our yard and they... Um, they're, they're just trying to prove daily that they're not really flightless birds, but they they just kind of make it. They get up into the trees at night, but they're barely. <laughs> they're, so I'm not used to hearing that term either. So that's it's really, really intriguing. So but then your nutrition story, what you were discovering and while it related to you, have you since found is there more science? Is there some more? Uh, nutrition research and so forth that's uh, supporting the uh, supporting the theory that you were discovering from a nutritional profile perspective we actually just had we sent some samples into the usda recently and got back much more favorable uh results from a nutrition panel perspective than anyone had been using in this industry for a very long time our ground meat has has less cholesterol than beef it has three times the iron as beef, hmm. three times the iron, uh, and it has dramatically less fat um, than even the the leanest of beef. And so, what that does, I mean, sure, being you know, there will be the people that you know say, hey, you know, fat is good, and that pendulum swings back and forth. And yes, we all need fat and saturated fat to survive and for our organs to function and all these things. Uh, but we we need less than people think. And and ostrich is something that uh, that yeah, it's something that you can eat every day. And you can't overeat ostrich, whereas there's other red meats that you that you certainly can. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as as far as why ostrich meat, you know, makes you feel as good as it does, we the science is not beyond beyond just the health statistics that you see on the label uh, and the low calorie content and the high iron. We don't yet know exactly why this ratite meat, this non-mammalian meat, is so compatible with our bodies. That we haven't, we haven't, the science is not there to figure out exactly what beyond the, the stats that you can see on the label, what, what is it? But what we do know, and, and again, I have this example of these folks who have alpha-gal uh, disease, and you get it by getting bitten by this Lone Star tick, there's something that is just chemically different about how your body reacts to eating the meat from a mammal versus from a ratite. And that's why the, all those folks can eat ostrich meat. It's the only red meat that those guys can eat 
they can't eat anything from a mammal. So there, so there is some science that we have not yet figured out exactly why this is so ideal for human consumption. I just find this really, really intriguing. Uh, now, are you still a runner? Yes. So yes, what's, have, your, what's your three little girls? Uh, as far as have, your what's your protein habit to keep up your your running? Well, I, I eat a lot of ostrich. I'll tell you that. I mean, oh. I have three little kids, and they crave the ostrich. Um, I don't know if it's the higher iron content or what, but they're always they're always asking daddy for ostrich burgers. And uh, yeah, you can have a big ostrich meal, and the next morning you're you're gonna or that afternoon you're gonna fly out of bed. You're gonna you're gonna be ready to go. It just it it just gives you energy and does not slow you down. So um, yeah, there and there are a lot of ultra runners and really high performance athletes that have have experimented or gone full vegan because of how they felt when they ate mammalian red meats. And mm-hmm. I would just love to talk to those folks and ask them, hey, you give give ostrich a try because a lot of those people gave up red meat writ large because it just didn't make them feel good. They couldn't perform while they were eating it. Uh, but ostrich is, has that great taste, but it just it just makes you strong, makes you light, makes you fast. You know, with having wrapping up what the, the nine hottest years ever uh, that we're that we've gone through recently, a lot of attention on climate. Um, so, so what's the story? How do you measure up with other products as far as sustainability of of ostrich production? Well, for starters, ostrich is a desert animal, so it light it, it thrives in a world with less water, uh, with less less rainfall, less resources. Uh, ostrich is, is, a, is a survivor. Ostrich is an animal that's going to thrive in an environment like that. It just makes sense. Um, uh, but as far as sustainability stats, look, ostrich, one of the big knocks on beef is the, the methane that is produced, right? Both from their belching and flagellating. And uh, it's co- coming out of both ends because the, the, the animal is a ruminant, right? Sure. And, and a byproduct of breaking down their food creates methane. That's biology. That's yeah. that's That's how this works. Ostrich don't generate any methane, virtually no methane, because it's a different biology. Ostrich only has one stomach, and uh, it it does not have to undergo the fermentation, uh, the byproduct of which is methane, in order to eat their food. And so the the single largest, you know, methane is like the nastiest greenhouse gas emission, the most potent. Ostrich just doesn't produce any. And so that right there, from a greenhouse gas emission perspective, uh, is just so dramatic. And, uh, you know, ostrich has less than one tenth of the, uh, the, the carbon footprint, the greenhouse gas footprint of, um, of beef. And, and that's the primary reason why, just no methane. You know, that's, uh, beyond- that's really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of people that, uh, are, you know, concerned about the methane produced with, say, even grass head beef. Um, and, and yet part of it is that they're trying to get the nutritional benefits and taste and flavors that they like in beef. Uh, so you really do have an alternative, although I'm, you know, I'm I'm sure you're trying to build demand without necessarily talking down the other commodities, and uh, because you're going to be working with cattle ranchers and sheep ranchers and 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 others as well. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to raise beef too. So there are some people that are raising beef in ways that are just really impressive, really good for the environment, building soil quality, and. Um, you know, there, there, there are a lot of different ways to raise livestock, 
right? And so you can choose to raise your beef or your chickens or your hogs or any animals in a way that is actually great for the environment. But unfortunately, the reality of it is we cannot feed, there, there are too many people that want to eat these proteins that we cannot raise all the animals like that. Uh, well, and then that kind of leads to another thing that I think that you're doing. And that is a freezer. Because if you're going to take advantage of when you can graze animals, whether you got grass fed beefs or a lot of the sheep are able or ruminants as well, they can be out in pastures, but then you've got, you have to have them in feedlots to be able to have them a fresh supply of the meat year round. Uh, but if you don't fight it on the freezer, which you use freezers as well, it seems like it's a, it's a great opportunity. And it's kind of surprising to a lot of people that that's, uh, instead of fresh looking at frozen might be a way to be more sustainable in your habits too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I could go on forever about why, uh, what I like to say is frozen is the new fresh, right? It's just frozen meat is safer. It's, it's much easier to keep a piece of meat frozen, like below 32, fully frozen than it is to keep a piece of meat between 32 and 42 degrees uh, while it, throughout the cold chain. It's just a very hard thing to do. And bacteria is growing above freezing. So you're, you're going to have that meat breaking down much faster anyway. Um, and then the other thing is in grocery stores, there's a lot of waste, right? If, if you get to that expiration date a few weeks after that, that uh, refrigerated product is put on the shelf, it's either thrown away or sold for a dollar a pound out the back door to some dog to to a dog owner mm -hmm. and the, and the cost of that shrinkage is what they call that in the uh in, in the uh supermarket lingo that shrinkage the the lost product is is foisted on the producer that's the producer that loses that money whenever your product expires on the shelf the grocery store is not going to take responsibility for that in the freezer case if your processor has high quality cryovac uh, high quality packaging that stuff can be is not going to have a, a lick of degradation in at least a year in the freezer. So you yeah. have a lot of time to to sell that product and merchandise that product. And hey, to, at the end of the day, ostrich is not the fastest moving product yet in the grocery store. And so being in the freezer section gives us a little more time to educate the consumer to tell our story about why you might want to be buying this. And at the same time, it's just so many, so much less waste uh, having frozen meat rather than fresh. And it's a total, total old wise tale that, that fresh meat tastes better than frozen. It's totally untrue. Oh, there are, um, I'm, I'm so sorry. many. Yeah. So there's so yeah. many chefs now that are coming around and being like, you know what? We always used to say that, but it's just not true. <laughs> I actually got to share a car ride one time with Alice Waters of Chez Panisse, and she's really big on fresh at yes. the Chez Panisse restaurant. And, and I, I had a, a, Big discussion with her, and I think I almost got her convinced about Frozen. She she was oh, really that's close. awesome. She was, <laughs> she was like at least buying it when I was telling her about about lamb and how she should be looking at at, at Frozen. Well, let's kind of kind of go to wrap up now that we're going to end up at the dinner table. So so I understand now how you got interested in ostrich. Just uh, we understand how you got started. We understand a little bit about growing them, and you got the processing plants. But how do you market them? So right now, our, our primary sales channel is direct-to-consumer on our website. Uh, and so basically, you go on our website, and you can order whatever products you want, and we ship it uh, via UPS or FedEx right to your doorstep. 
and it arrives frozen and uh and and in great great condition um so it's a very easy portal people you know are ordering you know again the pandemic accelerated this trend before the pandemic ordering meat online was kind of very niche and kind of weird but now you know with the success of places like crowd cow and butcher box um and right here in boise we have snake river farms uh as well uh, this is now people realize that getting premium protein through the mail is not weird anymore. You know, a fish from Alaska. I mean, this is this is a real thing. And it, your your meat is fresher. You don't have to put it in the back of your car on a hot day after you've gone to the grocery store and let that stuff get hot and weird in your car. Uh, ordering meat through the mail makes a lot of sense. So that's how we get it to you. How do we market it, though, is a greater challenge. You know, one of our big challenges, people say, oh, ostrich meat, you know, Gosh, maybe I've heard of that, but what, what does it taste like? Does it taste like chicken? Is it a white meat? Right. Uh, and so the hardest part is is educating, getting the consumer from from zero to one, under uh, just understanding what the product is. Uh, and so we've we've done farmers markets, and we we do tastings whenever we can. We have a new meatball product. It's really easy. Make a little meatball. Someone comes up to our booth at a farmers market. They're a little they're apprehensive. Ostrich, ostrich. It sounds kind of different. I've never heard of that. Hey, come on over. Just just try a meatball. It tastes. It, you're gonna love it. If you like red meat, you're gonna love ostrich. Right. And so every time we get ostrich in someone's mouth, we just see their face light up, and it's like, oh my gosh, you guys weren't lying. It actually does taste great. It's a red meat. So our biggest challenge is how do we get in front of more potential customers to create that education moment where uh, it's a, it's a new category. It's a new red. It's a new red meat that that a lot of folks haven't heard of. And so, so that's the challenge is, is just getting people to give us a try. I don't think we've had anyone who has given us a try and said, oh, that's not what I expected or I, I don't like that. I mean, I, just, I don't think we've ever heard that. But we got thousands of people listening to this podcast and some of them uh, have not tried ostrich. Uh, so here's your chance. What do you want to tell them? Hey, go to our website and we have lots of promos. Sign up for our newsletter and we'll we'll send you some stuff and you can get uh, free pound of ostrich with any order. Um, we have a lot of sample packs. Uh, there's a lot of lot of inexpensive ways to have a low risk experience to to try ostrich. The ground meat it's 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 so versatile. So any beef recipe, uh, any any bison recipe that you like, you could just swap ostrich in one to one. Give it a try, and if you, if you don't like it, we'll all, we'll give you your money back. No problem. We've we've never had anyone take us up on that, but that is what we say. <laughs> Well, that seemed like a great message. And uh, one more time, tell them the website address. It's AmericanOstrichFarms.com. AmericanOstrichFarms.com. And they can they can try that. And I imagine and consumers going to direct. Are you open to also uh, restaurants that are that are going to start trying to serve ostrich on a yes. regular basis? Yes, we have a wholesale restaurant program. So um, if you want your restaurant or your burger joint to to serve ostrich, tell them, tell them, ask for it. Hey, get on Google. You don't even need to know the brand. We're, you know, we're, we're all over the place. So if you're looking for ostrich, you'll find us. And we would love to talk with your with your favorite chef and, and get on the menu there. I tell you what, I've enjoyed this conversation and you've motivated me again. I'm going to go look for some. In fact, there is a drive-in here in East Sacramento that's been open since the 1950s and has uh, ostrich burgers. Um, so you've motivated me. Before the week's over, I'm going to go get a burger there. And I'm going to keep awesome. my eyes open, too. Yes, Fuddruckers has the burgers uh, almost nationwide. Uh, there there are a lot of burger places that that carry ostrich, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's great. 
Alex McCoy, I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks a lot. This has been great. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 